Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark Welcome to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, friend. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are such good questions, and we actually do have answers. We certainly do. A Spark File is a place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. And if you're like us and making stuff all the time, you know that sometimes the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry. We're here to refill it. We are on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity, things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this podcast. Or holistic, dynamic designs that illuminate a story and light up an audience. Or... Bold, no-holds-barred lighting that transforms comedians into rock stars. Or bold, no-holds-barred lighting that transforms rock stars into gods. On today's Makersode, we're going to talk with someone who, we're not joking about this, truly <laughs> sparks us. <laughs> truly fucking sparks us. And that someone is Mark Janowitz. Mark! Welcome to the Spark, the Spark File. Oh, Mark, just in hearing here. you, I feel sparked. I feel so inspired just hearing you guys do the inspiration. I thought, who's this person they're talking about? It's you, you son of a bitch. It's you. It's Mark fucking Janowitz. We're so excited to get this chance to reconnect and to talk with you, Mark. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for having me. I, we've been working on trying to get a date for a long time now. <laughs> You're the and busiest man in show business, Mark Janowitz. You really, really are. And we should probably say fair warning to everyone. Like this is probably going to be part interview and part friend reunion because <laughs> we have so much to catch up on. We're very excited. So for those who don't know Mark, can we just say he is an extraordinary lighting designer. He is also a fantastic human being and we're both very proud to call him friend. All of this is true. Mark, we're going to start with the basics. Where are you right now? And how are you right now for reals? I am in my design studio in Pleasantville, New York, which is in Westchester County. Fancy. Um, It's also kind of like an office, but I like calling it a design studio. It makes it feel a little bit more inspiring. Very creative. (laughs) And um, how am I I'm I'm feeling pretty good at this moment. I have to say, yeah. I um I had a great um hike in the woods today in oh. Graham Park, whoa, uh, which is a county park, kind of not far from where my office is. It was I tried some new trails and um, felt like it was um it was what I needed to do to get ready for this podcast, clear my mind and yes. be inspired. I'm I'm very sparked by that because you are no joke. You are incredibly busy, very sought after professionally. I feel like you are always on the go, on planes, lighting things, shooting things, designing things. And I'm very impressed that you carved out that time to go for that hike. Well done. Carving out time is a big, I mean, wh- wherever you can find it, you need it. And it's something I've, it's something I, that, um, I've heard you both speak about on this podcast and um, and it really rang true to something that had already been sort of changing in my life and in my world where I realized that if you're just busy, busy, go, 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 go all the time uh, and you don't take any time you can, even if it's just a few minutes uh, to refill, so to speak, then you, um, you run out of fuel. Yes. Can, can I ask you about that? Going rogue, Laura Camion. You are a lighting designer. Lighting and production designer, but... Lighting and production designer. Let's get it straight. Yes. I do production design when it's incorporated into lighting, but sorry, I didn't mean to uh, get into your stream of thought. This is is actually very relevant to this question. So carving out this time that we're talking about is partially about sort of rest, but it's also about refilling your tank, refilling your kindling box with images and inspiration as we talk about in the intro to this podcast. And I'm wondering, as you take that walk in the woods, as you do those things to refill, are you looking at things for real, like consciously looking at things as like when you see the light filtering through the trees, when you see the tree, are you thinking about how that might play in your work? Um, Yes, 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 and more. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, tell us the more. Well, so uh, the the first part, so lighting through the trees, I mean, that's, I mean, I feel like that inspiration, I, you don't even need to really look for that, right? That to me, um, it's, I feel like that that's already internalized to me and in how I think about lighting and form and drama and stories and pictures. Um, and, and I, that doesn't, you know, I'll still stop for any sunset. And I'll still be just completely in awe of seeing a you know streaming light. Um, what you know today's a gray, cloudy day, um, and uh, like what I was finding myself drawn to for no particular reason, but maybe a reason is um, today was all about trees, and and it was about 
not sort of the beautiful green leafy spring trees because they're not there yet. This particular trail I was on went through some highlands and so many trees are like fallen over and knocked over and find them their way into this these amazing sort of geometric patterns, but fall just completely chaotic. That was one thing that I was noticing today and stopping to take pictures of. But then another one, and I, I don't want to get to kind of too metaphysical here, but hey, you know, I mean, we're up for it. If not here, then where? Yeah, <laughs> this, it, it, and, and maybe because I was also thinking kind of about, you know, speaking with you ladies and, and about creativity and about sort of this imperfect existence we all have and how you have to accept your imperfections and your flaws in order to um, really be able to create in a way that where you can let yourself out of your own boundaries or where you, you, you're not as harsh a critic on yourself when you can allow yourself the freedom to be imperfect. And yeah. I'll send you some of these pictures. It was Today was all about the way in which these giant, beautiful tree structures were just full of flaws. I mean, giant holes that you can see through in their lower trunks and these like hacks out the side where you look and just say, how can something so strong and beautiful and inspiring be able to actually come out of a foundation that's just full of holes and cracks and like it just shouldn't be. And so, and so not just sort of the symbolic part of, okay, so there's imperfections in everything that's beautiful and, but also just seeing how these, like the different cracks and growths and weirdness that created these imperfections were in and of themselves, these beautiful like organic works of nature in and of themselves. Once I got that into my head, what should have been probably a one hour uh, walk (laughs) turned into two because I was stopping everywhere along the way taking pictures. (laughs) Got myself a little bit lost. Um, Blue trail, white trail, pink trail kind of got a little bit mixed up. Um, I mean, even, even knowing that that's the eventual demise of everything, you know, I mean, some of the trees have fallen over and you look and say, wow, you've been rotting for 30 years. You've been gone for that long. Yet there's still beauty mm-hmm. to it. And, and and even in the way in which it's decaying is has What's beauty. What's left of you is even beautiful. What's left of you. Yeah. yeah. And it made me think I did the survey. That precedes this interview. Yeah. I did my homework. Yes. Thank you. There's a lot of questions in there. And towards the end, there's the one where you have to pick like the one of five types. Yeah. Meta Wagner's five creative types. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of felt like I wanted to pick all of them, but it wouldn't let me. Oh, interesting. <sighs> so what did you, what did you go for? Yeah. Well, I picked the first one, but it was really a combination with the third one. The first one was ego-driven, parentheses, not a bad thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, an A-lister. <laughs> You're an A-lister, that baby. you want to be seen and noticed and cheered. But here's where it it's a tough fit for me, and I feel like this is something that particularly creatives who um, are working not on stage, but creating the stage, so to speak, yeah, run into uh-huh. is I don't want to be seen at all. I don't ever want to be seen. I don't but, want to be at the forefront, but I want my work I want my work to be seen. But your work what is world class. Your work is A list. Yeah. Well, that's I, I appreciate no, that. No, I'm and telling that's you. Subjective. That's okay. nope. No, okay. That's it's me. Fact. Nope. I'm Go telling ahead. you. Your Thank work you. is A list. Um, so so you were a combo platter of the A list, which truly is not is truly it's not a bad thing. It's so interesting too, because your work creates A listers of other people as well. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to be that bold. That's pretty bold. I, and, and, um, and again, you know, I'll, I'll blush here. I guess radio <laughs> can't see me blushing. So I can blush all I want. Um, but, uh, if I'm designing a performance, I'm lighting a show. If the performer, the performance, the material, the music yeah. isn't already there. Yeah. 
there's nothing I can do to get it there. There's nothing you can do. When it is there, there's mm. hopefully a lot that I can do to elevate it, augment it, um, yeah. h- help to portray the story, You know, maybe give it a more visceral impact in ways. Um, but if the material is not there, you know, there's no... We've seen beautiful movies that are not actually good stories, and it doesn't make it a good movie. That's correct. But wait, yeah. before we go too far, you were a p- partially an A-lister. And what was the other? The third one, which I, it was something what about was the vibe? works What's of the importance. What's the vibe? Um, and you're a game changer. This, this, may, this tracks. This is, this so yes, tracks. Yes, you yes. are a game changing That's- A-lister. I, I would have bet money on so that. You're living your truth. You're living your truth. Yeah. This totally tracks. So back to the walk in the woods for a moment. So it's not always walks in the woods. Sometimes I'll go for a run. I am slightly injured right now, so I'm not running as much, so I'm hiking more. It's basically the moments that I'm allowing myself to not be sort of bogged down in a task. I'll kind of take with me whatever various design problems there might be or inspiration I'm looking for. And it's it's brewing. It sort of um, automatically infuses the flavor into whatever it is I might be doing. And so sometimes... If I'm if I find that I'm working on a design project where I'm trying to, you know, come up with a with a kind of structural aesthetic piece, all of a sudden everywhere I go, all I'm seeing is structural aesthetic pieces in nature and in bricks and you're what, seeing trees that are yeah 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 I'm seeing trees that are at funny right angles yeah organic, and 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 that's appealing to me. Um, one one place I find where this is kind of um, a sort of interesting inspiration that isn't necessarily something that's, you know, you know, feeling spiritual and connected with nature. Um, wandering through hotels, hotel lobbies, sure. airports, there's the architecture of things yeah. is, is very inspiring into um, any sort of live or visual design of doing and the lighting portion of things and how um, light is allowed into buildings or through structures, all of that, just it like, finds mm-hmm. its way into whatever inspiration I'm needing. And on some level, like either at the surface of consciousness or even if it's running mm-hmm. sort of back in the background, you have made a practice of that sort of seeking, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And I have this, um, I have this tarot, so, you know, going all over the place, but we, you know, I know that's, you know, some of the conversations that happen here, and I think that creatives in general go through this is like, you have different fears, of course, in the process, in your creative processes. And one of my biggest ones is forgetting whatever it is that I'm seeing and feeling at the moment. That's why you got to have um, a spark file. That's why you got to have a spark file. <laughs> I mean, the spark file can be any container, right? Like Absolutely. For me, it's, yeah. So Absolutely. I take, you know, what do you always have with you is pretty much your phone. Yeah. So pictures of things. And so I'll just, you know, I'll randomly snap it because I know that at some later point I'm going to be going through and I'll say, oh, I took that because... I felt like it might be inspiring for something. And so then I move photos that are specifically geared towards that into a into an album on my phone called Inspirational Images. Yes. And, so you have a photo yeah, spark file. I do. Yeah. And then there's another, I have like, you know, various Pinterest pages, but usually what will happen is since the more sort of different sites I have to go to, the more I forget where stuff is. So I'll start screenshotting stuff 
from Pinterest or from the web, wherever it is, and I move it into that. It lives home. in your phone. So yeah. smart. That's great. Well, but it also lives on the cloud, which is a good thing because, you know, I also have that fear that- Because you will drop your phone in the toilet. It could happen. That's right. It'll happen. But having it all in one place, we're big advocates of that because we've all had those like 17 files of notes and photos and articles and whatnot. And then you make yourself crazy because you know that there was something that you saw three Can weeks you ago- Can you put your hands you on reference. it? And you can't put your hands on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark, before we go any further, yeah. we do have to request the Sparkfile price of admission from you, which you know is please share a creative risk that you have taken recently. Oh God. This is really tough because I know I gave you a little bit of a heads up that I had one. Uh-huh. Um, but I need to preface by saying I feel like every single creative endeavor, every design I work on. Yeah. Starts out as a risk. Yeah. And sometimes it's a risk all the way to the end, but they're all risks. Some of them feel risky for longer. Some of them I can overcome the fear quicker. Yeah. Some of them are smaller risks. It's a little more, and yeah, I don't want to like, you know, sort of create the impression here that I only work on projects that are really, you know, um, groundbreaking because they're not. Sometimes uh, a lot of them aren't. But you are a game changer. But sometimes I just play the game as it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're like, don't reinvent the wheel here. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and there's, and there's, you know, I've, I've said this to, um, you know, some of the producers that I work with on like different comedy specials, which is what sort of one of the main, or main genres I'm in these days, that in concert production. You can hire me to light something that has a blue curtain. And if I, if it fits in my schedule, great, let's do it. It'll be great to work with you on that. But there's a lot of people who can do a blue curtain and a spotlight. Yeah. So I don't necessarily gravitate into those projects. When they come along, I will play the game and I, and I feel like I light a blue curtain very well um, <laughs> as, as to the people who hire me to do that. But the ones that I really want, the ones that I gravitate towards are the ones that, you know, I feel like I'm pushing towards the edge of a cliff and kicking some stuff over and seeing who I could bring with me. And, oh, man. And those are the scariest ones because it doesn't always work. I'm so curious if the things that have given you the the riskiest, maybe even extended feelings of creative risk are the things that I've seen your work, not known that's your work, and it has blown my butt off my body. <laughs> and I have to, I rewatch, I rewatch, I rewatch. I just wonder if those things coincide, that the things that felt like the biggest risks from the inside are the things that um, have captivated our imagination and our attention. Oh boy. Well, I feel like that's, I could totally answer that wrong. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't know. Maybe. You did ask for a specific one. And so, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you one. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this or not seen it. It was, it was a, it was a live web stream. So you can really only find it now if you go looking on YouTube or if you happen to be a fish fan and you have all of the different, you know, available fish streaming services. Um, this is the band Fish. Yes. Um, okay. Okay. So um, I do not work for Fish. Um, Fish has a long-standing lighting designer who has been with them for thirty years and is and has his own trademark for that band. Wow. And it's, and it's incredible and it's its own thing. Yeah. But Trey Anastasio, who is the front man and you know one of the founders of that band, has brought me in on a lot of his side projects. Yes. Most of his solo and special projects since about twenty twelve. I've had the good fortune to be involved with. During the pandemic closure, like the 2020 
nothing's happening, no one's working, no one's doing shows, venues aren't open, you can't go out of your house, the whole- Deep into the pandemic, those months. Yeah, and it was the, yeah. this is, so this is gonna be, this is about August when I hear from Trey, and this is the point where I where I feel like um, most of, like for myself and most of my colleagues, and most you know people in performance, people in design, anyone involved with something that requires an audience, had finally just accepted that, there was no work. There was no FOMO. There was you're not missing out on anything. Right. Take this as your um, as your winter, so to speak, and just like do other things yes. in your life because you'll never have this again. Right? Yes. So it's so during that period, like into the spring, Trey, Trey had been working on something in his living room, which turned into an album, and he was doing like I think it was basically weekly drops of a new song. Um, that he would also video, he would also record and then uh, debut on Facebook. And I thought it was really risky work on his part. Mm. You know, he was working the camera by himself and he was writing music and by himself nice. and maybe doing some collaborating, but it was all, he was performing it all yeah. right there and recording it. And, um, and it went pretty deep. Some of it was, you know, I'd watch it. I was just like, I can't believe that that was something he was just doing, you know, it at his place in Manhattan. And so we were keeping in touch throughout, you know, I would see something and I would just throw him a little hello text and tell him I thought it was great and keep going. And, and then I guess around July or so, June or July, I think he did a um, Jimmy Fallon performance of that material. And it was the first thing that they had had a musician come to their stage and do as opposed mm. to what had become the norm at that point, which was remotes, yeah. living room performances, mm -hmm. um, you know, things that were not happening with audiences. And, and if you remember at the time, there was a lot of different and really innovative ways that people were performing yeah. and creating and getting work out there. That's right. So I, you know, sent a message to Trey and said, so happy to see you on there. That was great. Um, you know, amazing, just you, a guitar and an amp, which is, you know, very minimalist for him. And he wrote me back almost immediately and said, where are you? I need to call you. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in the same place I've been for a while. And uh, Here I sit. <laughs> I'm in my sunroom. And, uh, and so he called and we start talking. He's like, so I've been thinking about you and talking to Patrick, who's one of his managers. And, and he had this, he, you know, he had this idea. He wanted to do some kind of stream or show or performance or something. And it was pretty vague. He knew he needed to get it out there. We didn't know what the restrictions would be, where we can do something like this, anything like that. But he said, you know, we collaborate well visually. And I know you do a lot of work in, you know, concert films and in, you know, other TV, you know, comedy stuff. And, and so I want, you know, I want you to collaborate with me and help figure out how this is, what this can be. Some of the caveats that went with that he said to me, I can't do a couch performance. I already did the thing in my living room mm. and it will break my heart if I have to play to an empty room. Oh. Like I can't set up and just play to a bunch of seats and pretend like they're full of people. I don't think the fans want that. I think people are have had enough of that and I need it to be different and I need it to reach the people at home. Change the game. That was the beginning conversation. You know, it would take me a few hours to go through every step of the way and, and, I, and I don't want to, I'll forget details. Um, but along the way, you know, it started out, it was going to be very small. We, we thought we would do like a pre-record and maybe edit it together, something where we, you know, grabbed the black box. In fact, I was looking into like MTS and looking at, you know, because all these places were shuttered, right? So right. it would be kind of easy to get a black box, put a couple of cameras in and some lighting and just kind of experiment. And, and it was, you know, this is, 
by I think it was just about August by now we were having this conversation. You know, there's a, a rather large team that kind of surrounds the fish camp and, and yeah. Trey. We didn't know at that point with COVID if we'd be able to bring anybody from anywhere, if it just had to be New York people. Yeah. Um, so we just started kind of brainstorming on it a bit. I ended up getting into a chat with his tour manager who became an executive producer on the project, Richard Glasgow. And he said, look, what I, I'm tasked with finding a space. What do I need to find? And mm-hmm. I said, look, we just need a room approximately this big. Um, it doesn't need to have any sort of, it just needs, it needs a roof that we could rig some lighting from. Um, we need to be able to close it off. It needs to, you know, have dimensions approximately like this. And he started like throwing out some names of theaters. And I said, look, if it's a theater, that's fine. Let's just, you know, don't get one of those big expensive New York places because that's, you know, this is going to, um, you know, run over very quickly. Um, there was also, I kind of forgot one of the, one of the major pushes behind doing this was anything that Trey raised financially through the web streaming or through sponsorship um, would go to a uh, not-for-profit foundation called Divided Sky that he was founding um, in order to build um, uh, adult treatment centers, uh, drug treatment centers. Uh, he's, he's recovering and he you know, felt like that was an important contribution that he can make. So you know, going into a place that was going to cost us tons of money wasn't really going to make sense. That's right. Just take from that. And yep. So I explained a few different things to Richard. I said, you know, if you get a stage, you can get a theater, but just we're only going to use the stage. We don't need the seating. We don't want to see any of the seating. That's all. He said, all right, leave it with me. And I come back and the first thing he says is, how about the beacon? (laughs) (laughs) It's a giant theater. So many seats. Giant theater with a small stage. It's a little bit deceiving, but the stage itself is very vaudeville sized. Um, And I thought, well, Richard, the stage isn't really that big. And, um, and a local one, I mean, it's going to be, yeah. how you, you know, I feel like it's off. He goes, don't worry about a thing. MSG is going to give it to us and they're going to pay for the stage hands or at least pay the base coat. And they're all in on the benefit. Oh. We've already worked it all out. So now you just need to, you know, figure out how to make it look cool. Wow. So, okay, great. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'm like, cool. This sounds good. We get, you know, back into conversations with Trey and we talk about, the first thing we, we get into is t- really talking about like who is the audience here, right? Because we can't have an audience. So that's great. What do yeah. we do without an audience? What yeah. can we, what are the things? Let's, let's embrace these. Yeah. yeah. We'll never have this moment. The again. obstacle is the path. That's yeah. That's right. The obstacle is the way. Yeah. Obstacle is the path. I love that. I went to the venue in September for a scout. First thing is the first time I was back in the city since beginning of pandemic. Yeah. So that was spooky enough. Yeah. And I walked on stage. And I tell you, like, I was choking back to you. I, 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 I wept. Like, oh, I, yeah. the rush of emotion of just knowing that we were doing something, we were back into it and doing the thing. Because if you're in a creative field, it's highly likely that you derive a lot of your own sort of personal worth and self-worth and value out of the fact that you are in a creative field. And when you have no opportunity to do that, there's a number of different existential oh, yeah. crises that go with it. Oh, um, yeah. So, Oof. you know crying in my mask, get over that. <laughs> um, and then after going through a couple of weeks, I showed Trey all the photos and I started doing some sketches and some 3D models and, and looking at things from different perspectives. And then and I saw like a photo, like a Jerry Seinfeld photo that I had come across where Jerry's standing on stage facing the camera and the background is the auditorium. Yeah. And it's just all the empty seats. Right. And all the beautiful architecture, but not everything, not the, you know, gilded proscenium arts and stuff, but just, you know, these really great like balcony front details and the ceiling details, the spire. And I thought, 
okay, perfect. Uh huh. <laughs> Except that we're looking at a room full of empty seats. Yeah. But we're looking at a performer. We're looking at the room. Yeah. The audience who only ever sits in those seats is now seeing a perspective they'd never see. That's and right. And I, I locked into that, so rendered it out, and I took the idea to Trey, and he loved it. And I explained to him, and he said, well, what about all the empty seats? I said, we're going to fill them, but we're going to fill them with light. I'm going to get as many small lights as I can and just randomly play. I'm just going to fill it. And it's going to be something like the idea of maybe it's a bunch of people kind yeah. of looking in, you know, um, all the souls at home, or nah. maybe it's a constellation and starry night, or it's it could be anything we want it to be. You're not going to feel the emptiness of the room at all. It's all going to be behind you. But it's also the totality. While he's, Trey Anastasio may be having an experience where he is singing to a camera and a brick wall and a skeleton crew, the he had to, when you rendered that out, he had to understand the power of that imagery and and the story that it tells historically about this slice of time in our lives when those seats needed to be filled with, you know, the lip souls of of the viewers at home because it couldn't be filled with uh, the human people that would normally be there. That is a, a great, great creative risk. And I, I believe you when you say that there were pro times in that process when it really was sort of like, what are we going to do in this unprecedented time to work within the creative limitations that have been dictated by this pandemic? And make it feel meaningful, not that you just had a bunch of limitations, but actually that you transformed it. Right, that we were going to take it and we were going to come out the other side with something that could only be done in this time and that we yes. were fortunate to have this time yes. to do it. Not that anybody would you know, want a global pandemic um, for any creative reasons at all, but that life doesn't give you the choice. That you were able to make magic out of it. And this, by the way, you're officially admitted into the Spark File. That is a beautiful creative risk. And lighting design, production design, when it's done well, sometimes it can be uh, seamless and almost invisible and a real platform and a highlight for the, the artist's work. Mark, you do this amazing magic trick and you did it with that Trey Anastasio project at the Beacon where the artist is complete there. You are completely highlighting, literally spotlighting the artist. And also you are taking something that can be seamless. It can be invisible. It can be ephemeral like lighting, light production design. And you are making, I hope you can hear me as you're listening through your earbuds, friends. Like I am so emphatic about this. You make magic. It is crazy what you do with your, your production and your lighting design. And it elevates the work to this place where it's like, usually there's like an audible gasp that happens and it's happened with me, uh, your work over and over again. And then I just have to watch it again and again and again. There's no question baked into this. I'm just sharing my truth. My heart is warm. My heart is growing. <laughs> I feel like you didn't get that memo that that reads, um, you know, good lighting design isn't noticed. Um, that's how you can tell a good lighting design. I understand like there are times when that's applicable and you don't want the design to overshadow, you know, what the story is. Um, but you have on many occasions 
that I think we could point to found a way for the design to be so additive. It's not, it's certainly not not noticeable, but it is a, another presence there. It is another character on stage or it's another piece of the, the full puzzle that just amplifies and elevates everything. You just have to take it. You just, you have, just to have to take, take it. it. Just sit um, there and take it. <laughs> thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. If we could describe the discomfort <laughs> on Mark's face of just like, oh God, all these compliments. So can I tell you this? So a note that I just took as you were saying that. So so th- that's an interesting one with, with design and especially with, with lighting and especially lighting for concerts, which can be um, oftentimes you know, center of attention, even overpowering, even, some, and, and, and even like, I definitely have some shows where I come out of, I'm like, I need to tone it down. Um, <laughs> Do you? There's this fine line because you really don't want, I should say, I don't want the work itself to draw its own attention because I think that that draws attention away from the, the full product, which is a collaborative form. So that's, one of the things that I find myself conflicting with a lot on every design is, you know, is it too much? Is it too little? Am I, am I saying, Hey, look at me, Hey, look at me. Or am I saying, Oh, this, you know, Hey, look at us. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, uh, if I can, I, I just a quick ad- addendum back to the, the tray story, because there was this point. So we're moving forward with this design and the layout and everyone's starting to kind of piece it together and realize why it's going to be special. Um, and I remember having like sort of one last, like there's always a, in every design period, there's the point of no return where you actually really have to commit and execute and there's no more iterating. And it's like, you know, see you at the venue. Pencils down. Um, <laughs> pencils down, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I was sitting out on my front porch. It was a, you know, mid-September day. And, um, and I'm on the phone with Trey and Patrick, his manager. And he, you know, we're like, all right, we're going to, we're really going to do this. Okay, we're going to do this. And, and Trey says, you know, I just, it, it occurs to me, it just occurred to me, I've had all of the, you know, I've done these interviews, I did a Rolling Stone interview, and I said, specifically, I'm not going to play to an empty venue. And he said, fuck, man, I, here we are, we're just featuring an empty venue. Like, he's, he's like, Mark, what if it's, what if it's just to- a big mistake? So, so what I love uh, to, to pause you for just a moment, I just want to highlight the fact that you're talking about two very well-established, very respected artists conferring about what if this fails? What if this sucks? What if I just said one thing and I'm going to take a big creative swing? I'm going to run directly to the center of that thing I just said I wasn't going to do. I love that. I just love for us and for our listeners that they're hearing that I feel like people who continue to change the game continue to be engaging in A-list creative work, it means that you are going to have those moments of real fear. If you're doing it right. If you're doing it right. If you're doing it right, yeah. There was a point there where the fact that he was confiding that in me also. And look, Trey and I had worked together for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Mm -hmm. we had done great work together. But it was never in this kind of way where something was kind of birthing. and, and, And we were like, you know, I feel like we were really... Leaning on obviously, I, obviously he wasn't leaning on me for anything musical or anything like that. But but as far as like how this thing was going to look and how it was going to portray and what the world is we were creating, and I said we've been looking at this, we've been looking at this, and we keep responding the same way. There's not a single time once we've put the lit renders in where we've looked at it or anyone else has looked at it and said, you know, what the fuck are you doing or anything like that. 
And I said, the only way we're going to be able to move forward from this point is if you and I just agree together that we're, we're taking this risk together. Like we're, we're going, we're going. Ah! Yeah. And, and if, and if it, and if it, and if it crashes and burns for one thing, we're going to Thelma and Louise it together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and for a second thing, I mean, we're going to be at the beacon for eight to 10 weeks. If we do the first week and we're like, wow, what a fucking mistake. <laughs> We will figure it out. <laughs> fix it. Yeah. Go change course. Yeah. We will fix it. We will fix it together. We'll move the cameras. We'll flip it around. We'll, hey, hey, week two, we're facing forward. Or we'll, you know, we'll, we, we can do that. We have that within our means. But if we don't embrace this and do it now, we'll never have the opportunity again. Amazing. He was kind of, he was quiet for a minute. And Patrick didn't say a thing. He was just, <laughs> and he knows Trey pretty well. He was just like, I'm going to see how this goes. And, yeah. And he goes, yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm in. I'm in with you. Let's do it. I love it. I know. Yes. <laughs> and, it's so true. Yeah. And it, and it worked and it worked. It's so true. And, and the obstacle is the way is so true because you like the way you approached it was not like an apologetic, sorry, we're here at this empty theater. Those, those seats would represent like a sadness as opposed to the flipping it around at one point, I think in the first, like, you know, he was talking with, he was like talking to his audience uh, in somewhere in the first show and he kind of points behind him and he goes, this is what I usually get to see. I'm looking out at you. Now you get to see me looking out at you. What I see. Yeah. yeah. And then and then it became obviously over the next, you know, we got to really play around with it after that. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the Beacon Jams, um, the last one, you know, he walks out through the, through the seats and, and for the first time you get really close and you see just how much structure and all this grip equipment and everything that's creating this kind of, you know, ocean constellation of people. And he walks out in the lobby and he gets out there, this gorgeous rotunda of a lobby. And there's, you know, 30 or 40 dancers <gasps> all out there. Like, you know, there's a drum circle. There's just this huge, like, yes. celebration. He walks through that. He dances with them for a bit. And then he walks out on the street underneath the um, marquee, takes a left, walks down, turns around the corner, he's gone. Ah, oh, beautiful. Mark, you know how to bring it home. Like you know how to uh, end a show. Yeah. Really, really, really well done. And clearly you collaborate with people who do as well. That is, I love that story. That was a risk with a happy ending. Mark, we want to take it back. We want to go back in history just a little bit. Maybe it's like the origin story of the three of us and how did we end up here today? Um, you and I first met when we were working at Blue Man, Blue Man Group. You and I, I think, both started in the same year, 1996, but you were in Boston, correct? And I was in New York. Correct. You eventually made your way to New York. I don't know what year that was. The quick history, my quick chronology at Blue Man, 96, I started as the master electrician on the Boston show about three months after they opened. Mm -hmm. I was finishing my senior year at Boston University, so I was like... One of the BU folks. We had a lot of BU. We had BU. We had Emerson. We had crews from both. I stayed at the Boston show until summer 97 and then uh, became the assistant lighting designer for the Chicago show. And got we got it. that. That was Matt yeah. McCarthy was the designer. We got that up yep. and running and open. That fall, I think we did a big... Leno, if you remember, with the live wire and stuff. We did a big Tonight Show appearance. Yeah, we did. Oh, then we came back and remember they had just bought Third Street. Yes, yes. And they, in order to keep like their public occupancy or cabaret, whatever license they needed, there had to be a public performance. That's right. So we did the new Constellations, December of 97, shivering in that space with the rats. 
Then I disappeared for a while. I went to Vegas, yes. got with Brian Fed. We worked on yes. Bellagio, on the O Show, the installation of that. Didn't you work on our first Vegas show in 2000? Yeah, yeah that the whole live wire, the desert scape. Because by summer 98, I came back and we did the 817 show. Which so was good. The, all the workshopping. That's right? right. It was the original workshopping, the shadows piece. The live wire piece. That it was at one of those performances. I was married to a blue man at the time. Oh, one of one of my former husbands. And I remember sitting in that workshop and gasping uh, at your work. That was one of the times when I literally gasped out loud. And Chris Wink, after the show, Chris Wink, one of the founders of Blue Man Group, said, "I heard you audibly gasp." And in in all truth, did you tell it, him it was the lighting? It was the lighting. In all fairness, I feel very much like I was a member of the design team. I was a member of the design team. I was not the designer of record for those for those projects. Um, eventually became the associate designer. Right, but you were very much a part of a collaborative team. Very as much we part were. of a collaborative team. If yeah. I'm correct, the thing that I specifically gasped at is your handiwork. So with all due respect to all the designers and all the people. You're not getting out of this interview without a million more compliments, <laughs> Mark Janowitz. Just oh, be prepared. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, so... And then I was in New York. So then I was in New York, 81798 onwards. Um, And by, you know, 99, it was, we are doing this Vegas show, come be an associate designer on it. And, and I, you know, got my little office at third street in that kind of weird loft area and stayed through and then, you know, kept, kept growing as, you know, I became a Blue Man Productions employee, lighting director. I was the associate designer for all the new projects and special events. And, you know, kind of went through, we did the complex, they brought Mark Brickman on board, That's right. which was a sea change for everything, big sea change in my own career at the time. I was going to say, because is that like when you segued a bit into concert lighting? Yeah, well, the complex was the first concert that I had been involved with in a designer way. I mean, I had been mm-hmm. lighting bands since, you know, sure, high school. Sure. I mean, I used to drive around Boston when I was in college with 12 park hands in the trunk of my car and you know, <laughs> going into Harper's Ferry or the Rat or wherever I could, plugging them into the wall and flashy flashy um but but Brick, brickman was like anyone who was into concert design would have he was an idol you know mark brickman yeah yeah mark brickman and um and jenny willink had asked me to put together a short list of who i thought would be good designers when they wanted to do a concert thing and he was first on the list and i knew i'd be assigned to him so yeah i basically got to name my mentor wow um, oh, mark you're so smart yeah because he came in and then we were basically joined at the hip for you know the next almost three years and so what happened from there is when i left blue man almost immediately started doing stuff with brickman or stuff that brickman would get called for but didn't want to do or stuff that he was designing and needed a lighting director for and that really launched my concert career and um you know i i really 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 wanted to keep a foot in theater and i did for a while yeah um but it eventually turned to a point where um concerts and that kind of live event thing Mm-hmm. really took me over and I was you know I think I was doing about one theater show a year just for my heart sure but it didn't do a whole lot for my wallet sure um, absolutely and, uh, sure you know I want to give you one other kind of compliment despite all the compliments on your work I just want to mention a few things that I remember about our time together at Blue Man so we were working on you know multiple shows at all times and as the PR person I was always bringing in TV crews 
or arranging for TV appearances. So despite the fact that we open in three days, Mark, we also need to switch over and light this Tonight Show appearance. I hope you don't mind. Um, and so I would have to approach the tech table to speak to the designers and, you know, about things that I needed, whether it's like just, can they plug into the soundboard or, you know, can you, would you mind taking on another TV show in the midst of this show launch? Um, and I have to admit, I would always have to muster my strength to approach that table because there were a lot of personalities at that table and they were all very, very kind, but just had sort of like a tough shell with a soft center, you know? So it took like a moment sometimes <laughs> to like get to the soft center. So I always felt like, okay, all right, I need to go talk to these guys and make some requests. And everyone always eventually was gracious. But you, from the first moment, always kind, always approachable, always made yourself available to say, what is it that you need? What is the project need? You were always so great. And it, I, I always like, I'm sorry, I put this burden on you, but I was like, I'll go to Mark first. This will be my strategy. I will go to Mark Janowitz first. <laughs> Mark will be kind and gracious. And then Mark and I will ask subsequent designers for the things that we need from them. So you, A, you made my life so much better. And of course, once I knew you were on board, I knew all of those TV appearances would go off beautifully. But then a few years into working together at Blue Man, I started Bridge Club Productions and had a residence at a small theater called Manhattan Theater Source. And I came to you asking if you might consider lighting our very first show, which I believe was Shrinkage by Manny Gracious, starring Susan Blackwell and myself. What? Yes, both Susan and I in that show, Jeffrey Dornboss, a few other people. And I asked you... And you blew my mind because you were like, sure, I'll do that. Actually, why don't I do all of your shows? Why don't I just become your resident lighting designer? Man. And I was like, what the fuck? Yes. Lucky yes. us. Lucky us. And then you and title of show was part of that. Well, lucky me, though, because I wanted to do as much creative work as possible. And here you are walking in saying, we, we're just going to do shows all the time in this great little black box. And yeah, yeah it really, it, oh. it hit right where I needed it to at the time. Oh, well, yeah. you <laughs> you delivered for us like in such a big, big way. I think all of us felt immediate like elevation of quality of work that we're going to be able to do there with you on our team. This is just a very, it's taken me years, but this is a very public thank you to say we appreciate you and your support of our early work. You even invested in title of show. I mean, you have really been for this little pair right here. You have been there to support our work in so many ways. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for including me. Oh my God. Our fucking pleasure. Lucky us. Did I lucky mention lucky us? us? Um, Jumping forward, I, Laura, can I can I get into yes, this? Yes, of course. Oh my God, I've been waiting for this moment. If you thought you got compliments before, uh, here we go. So, humble beginnings, just three little noodles trying to make theater at the Manhattan Theater Source. What you have become and continue to evolve into. One of the reasons that I'm so excited to have you on the podcast is because. I'm a big fan of Bo Burnham's and I was 
watching Bo Burnham's Kanye rant. And I was so, the whole thing, the whole thing, the totality of the whole thing, I've recommended it. I've talked about it on this podcast. I've recommended it. This was, this was in Inside or this was in uh, Make Happy? Make Happy. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful piece. Like you were saying earlier, the foundation of the writing is to my estimation, extremely strong. And then I just couldn't stop. I had no idea you were involved in it. I couldn't stop watching it because I felt like the the emotional impact of it and the way that it all comes together, it's thrilling, it's gutting. I was just like, this is... I can't tell you how many of our clients I've sent this to. I'm like, take a look at this, see if this inspires anything for this thing you're doing. I just love it so much. And then... I did a little research to learn more about how he made that. And I got, I was sort of like, why aren't you in a lot? And Laura helped me piece it together that it was actually you. You were one of the geniuses behind this, this piece. So again, no question, just a declaration of my feelings for your work. But I'm just curious with a piece like that, is that another example to our conversation earlier where there was a measure of risk involved and it's commensurate with the impact that it has? Or were, were you and Bo and the other, the sound designer, were you like, oh, no, no, we got this. Like, w- talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. So, um, gosh, I feel like I'm about to burst your bubble big time. You're like, so- it's, the, it's the easiest thing I've ever designed, kid. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not that. But I, I need to... Give credit where credit's due on this one. Um, yeah, I was brought in to do make happy as what's commonly known as a broadcast designer. Okay, the scope of what that is can be a lot of things, but the specifics of it is a designer brought in to take a show that already exists and make it broadcast friendly, or yeah, make it broadcast that makes friendly, sense. or or, or it augment it and expand it and enhance it, make sure that what's captured is the best it could possibly be. And it was the first non-concert one that I was ever brought into. Um, so it's the first comedy special I've worked on. Yeah, Bo had been touring for a number of months already. And most of the framework of what you saw creatively and the, and the style of cueing and, and a lot of the sort of extreme visual stuff, that was him. He did that. Great. Credit where credit's due. Love it. It's credit where credit's due. No, and, and, and he had a lighting director who was touring with him who helped program that. Mm-hmm. My involvement was, here's the bones of this thing, okay? Uh, which, is, which, which I saw, or I saw a video of it, or maybe, I don't remember, maybe I saw, I think I saw a video of it. Like, a, you, you know, they, they had taken a video a few months before you hired, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, this is incredible and will never look good on camera. <laughs> because it was just... It was so extreme, like the levels and the color and the, mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of all over the place, but it looked really cool live. Well, that's interesting you say color because it, I think of it almost as, this is probably not technically accurate, but almost like it's in a, a black and white or blue and white. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. 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 Especially the part, and, and the part that you were mentioning, the Kanye rant was very yes. much in that, in those yeah. tones. Yeah. Um, but that kind of, those extremes of color, the deep blues and that sort of thing on HD and 4K cameras is a, is a it just, mm. it just tears apart. It leaves no image. So what was really fun and exciting for me on that was to take something uh, first of all, in a genre that I hadn't worked in. Nice. Um, and I got involved. The director of photography on that was um, was very open to collaborate. He had, he was very cinematic. And I think he realized right from the start when we got involved that he didn't have to light it, which is what cinematographers usually do. 
he needed to talk to me about how he was going to shoot it so that I could adjust, augment, change, adapt as needed. And so what was what was exciting is, is that because I already knew what Bo's vision was, because there it was yeah. in his live show, yeah. it was like, okay, now you get to take something that's already been like sketched and and colored in, and now you get to like make it into what will become the um, the forever version that people get to see on TV. Oh God, I that's a great collaboration. And the reason why I ended up on that project, and, and it's funny because I and I think it's just, it's important, especially for creative professionals. To understand that it's not you know so much about how you end up getting your work is not necessarily based on what you've done before but it or or like how creative you can be but it has a lot to do also with like relationships and yeah. people you know and ways in which you've either wittingly or unwittingly branded yourself you know Bo's thing definitely looked more like a concert and his promoters rep because it was he had one promoter was I think it was AEG Chris Scanlon was touring with him and he knew me and he knew my concert work and he knew my um, concert film work. And he had said to Bo early on, if you, when you, if you're going to shoot this, this is, we got to get this guy, Mark involved. He's going to come in and he's going to make it, you know, where it needs to be. I, I don't know what those internal conversations were with Bo, but I do remember that the executive producer who was brought in when she didn't see any like listing for me in IMDB, she said to Scanlon, no way, no how. I'm not risking this whole thing on a guy who's never done a comedy special before. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Scanlon said, hey, look, fine. Bring in whoever you want, but we're also bringing in Mark, and there's only one budget, and we'll fight you for it. Oh, and, um, wow. And so she kind of looked it through. We had a couple of – she and I had a conversation. Um, she realized I wasn't a complete joke. What a fruitful collaboration. Yeah, and she said, fine, you can do it. And – and here's what's great about it is so we got through it. We shot, I think we sh shot two shows in one day or three shows in two days, but it was at the Capitol Theater, um, you know, which also being in my backyard, I'd done a lot of shows at the Cap. So I was able to smooth over a lot of kind of language barriers uh -huh. between the genres. I think we wrapped on a Friday or Saturday. And by Sunday, Kathy, the producer called me and said, I've got another project I think you might be interested in. Uh -huh. <laughs> First, an apology. Sorry. And second, another project. <laughs> no apology was required, simply yeah. the offer. And it was um, Horace and Pete. Wow. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know what yeah. I realized? We should probably tell our listeners a few things <laughs> that we didn't mention up top. But that you, so when you speak of these concerts, we're talking about My Morning Jacket, The Lumineers. Fun, so many others. The comedy specials, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Flight of the Concords, Bo Burnham, as just mentioned. Theater shows like Blue Man Group and Forbidden Broadway. We just realized like, so A, everyone should know those things and many more things that you do. Um, but is there something that we haven't mentioned that you don't often get asked about that you would also like to say, like, I'm really proud of this as well. And I'd like the opportunity to share that. Um, you mean as far as work goes or yeah. like, I'm really proud of the fact that I've got two amazing kids and a, an amazing wife. That's great too, because okay. building a life is, okay. is a creative project as well. And we yes. talk about that a lot. And so building the life you want. 
and it's the, actually a big part of the creative process that we often forget. Like we get so wrapped up in what we're doing that you, you can really go, like if, if you're not careful, you'll go your whole career and forget to build a life around it. Oh man. That is so true. Saddest thing I've ever heard. I think that's a great answer. We'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Or is there something coming up that you want us to like keep an eye out for? There was a, um, an HBO, uh, HBO Max uh, special out called uh, Trash White. By Moses oh, Storm. yes, yes, of course. That doesn't look like any other comedy special you've ever seen before. It's a one, and it's really a one-man show. It should have, when we, we installed it at a theater in LA, we should, I, I wish he could have just done an off-Broadway run of it. It, it. it should have just sat there. It was so sad to tear it apart. Um, and that was another one where um, the artists themselves had had a vision for what it was going to look like. I mean, he knew Moses wanted a white set and he made a model with all the trash around it. Uh-huh. That was that was it. When I said, "Well, maybe we can do some color." No, this is what it's going to be. Uh-huh. Um I'm I'm happy to work in sort of all sorts of different ways and sometimes it's nice when somebody comes in and they're like, "I have no idea. I just know I really like what, you know, oddly angled streets look like. Come up with something cool." That's great. That's fun. I like that. Um but it's also when you're collaborating with someone who comes in and and already has something for you to sink your teeth into, mm-hmm. there's something really great to that too. It's it, some of the fear of like, what if I birth something from nothing and uh-huh. I don't like it? Like that, yeah. that fear is assuaged a bit, you know, because yeah. you've got someone to kind of go in with you on it already. I mean, that's kind of a beautiful combo platter though of having a creative life. Sometimes you're plucking something from your own imagination and just from the jump you're like this is new and different and i want to share it and it feels really vulnerable and then other times you're like i hear and can can visualize this explanation of a vision that another artist is sharing with me and i can help them to make that a reality and that's also equally exciting right from the start you know you've got there's already a team forming out of mm-hmm. it and that was you know for a lot of people involved not the least of which Moses Storm that was a huge passion project I mean yeah. it was uh I, I know like from the producer's end you know they they were in way deeper than they expected to be um because it just you know that everything needed a lot of attention and um and ultimately you know the the finished product was you know like you said something it was it was like no it was like no other special out there and um yeah, I was really proud of that work. You know, a couple of artists I've worked with who you didn't mention in the list, yeah, um, but more. some stuff that really stands out for me, like um, my um, collaborations with Hassan Minaj. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, have allowed me to go places um, creatively that might not have been the case if it wasn't somebody like that. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, the first thing I did with him was Homecoming King. Uh, which was his uh, Netflix special. And that was another one that was, it was a one-man show that he'd already been developing for a long time. He had an idea. He knew that the video content needed to be a certain way. They'd been rehearsing it a certain way. Um, So getting to jump in where it was like, here's the bones of this thing, and I know how to do the show. Mm -hmm. Now make it into the thing that it needs to be using the things that you do to get it there. Yeah, yeah. The original idea was there'll be a screen up center. By the end, it was like these strips of screen <laughs> all over, yeah. and, you know, angular pieces that were very much like 8-bit uh, geometry combined with sort of a, a homage to his um, Indian background, uh-huh. you know, the, um, there being an aesthetic through that. Because of that, I got to do Patriot Act, which was his series, his Netflix series. That's right. And that one, it was infographics 
at a massive scale. And, um, you know, I'd never done a series. I'd never done a series. Like, I guess Horace and Pete was a series, but where, you know, it was all the video screens and information, all of that was part of the set and lighting. And so to be able to kind of bring that sort of 360 vision to it with, with an artist who was really into it and really knew how to use it. And really like, I'd come in, I'd say, you know, let's, we're going to add this level to it. And there's going to be the strip. And how about a floor you can stand on and move around that has the grab? He's like, I know exactly what to do with that. Yes. It was uh, definitely a learning process for me because New York Netflix series, not a genre on the process side that I understood at all. Uh huh. Um, new, yeah, new challenges. Yeah. But yeah. you're also describing just the beauty of like when talented people come together, they know what they know, they're willing to share what they know, and everyone's contributions elevate the whole thing. I mean, that's truly the magic. That's those are those magical moments. I'm also relishing the idea that our listeners are going to watch some of these pieces of entertainment, either for the first time or again with fresh eyes, knowing that this artist has made this contribution to these collaborations. Yes. I love creatives just increasing their awareness of all the all the people and all the the contributions that are made into a piece. So I'm also enjoying that. I feel like I've been really fortunate in my path that I've gotten to work with a lot of people who embrace the notion of what if and um and and you know starting a conversation creatively like what if we did something like this that's not really something we know how to do but we'll get to it if we like the idea and and having people who will go down the rabbit hole with you like a Hassan Minaj or like a Bo Burnham or like a Trey Anastasia it's, go, yeah I'll take a lot of it back to Blue Man because we were very fortunate there that that the whole like sort of founding structure of that was a lot of what ifs and let's create now, figure out the budget later, which is not so easy, really. Yeah, and, which isn't how it always gets to work. But it taught us, I think, and, and I think that there's a whole, when I say us, I mean that kind of like large extended family that has sort of experienced a bit of a creative diaspora now because you know, uh-huh. we're all over the place. Yeah. But we all came out of that with a different sense of what is possible and, and how to not be sort of penned in by yeah. established boundaries that is and, and taking that with us. And, you little and, game and, changer. That's right. Yeah. Well, we all changed the game on that one. Well, I mean, Blue Man was probably one of the biggest game changers. It doesn't feel yeah. like it now yeah. at 30 years old, but at the time it yeah. was a lot of people saying you can't do that. No, you can't yeah. do that. Theaters don't do, why would you do that? Luckily that, it made an impression on me at a young enough age. Yeah. And and then the mentorship with Mark Brickman, who was definitely a, why well, we can do any, you know, I mean, that I, was he a would stroke just, of genius. Can we just say, if you like have in mind people, who would you get mentored from if you could? And if you yeah. ever have the opportunity to put your mentor right in your, like, <laughs> right yeah. in your sights, take yeah. it. Take yeah. it. And to this day, we still, we don't do a lot of work together, but uh, we do enjoy a very close relationship. I mean, Good. He still, he still says that he's Mark Sr. because we spell our names the same and we'll introduce me to people <laughs> randomly as his son, um, which really stumped David Gilmore when he introduced me to Gilmore. Wait a minute. Said, this is my son. Remember that night? And Gilmore's like, what? what? You don't have a son who's like in his, at the time, 30s. Now I'm much older. I love that. <laughs> I love that story. And I love that you're still close. And, you know, just how that whole transition happened for you and allowed you to really spread your wings. Listen, we have, in the interest of time, we've got to move to a question that we ask all of our guests. You may be familiar with it. 
you work really fucking hard. What's it all for? I was not prepared for that. You didn't prepare. You didn't prepare. We did me for not. That. We did not. What's it all for? First thing that comes to mind. This I'm going to skirt. Watch me skirt this question. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many answers because the base coat. What is all the work like right now? Why do I work so hard? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I have a life and a and a family, and I need to provide. Mm-hmm. So that's a yeah. There's mm-hmm. that part, and um, but but I think if somehow my career had gone a different way and I was doing something that paid the bills differently, uh-huh. but I'd still need to find a, some sort of creative outlet. I can think of one, what's it all for? Just listening to you share about these different uh, projects okay, you've you worked try, on. you try and then I can say, yeah, you're Okay, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say uh, a, a hypothesis and then you can either say that's on target or you can shoot it down. I feel like one of your what is it all for's is to create opportunities where you can sort of link arms with great creatives who are working at the top of their game and just Thelma and Louise into creative risk together. Yeah. The creative companionship, so to speak. Yeah. 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 But taking big yeah. swings together and making yeah. really, uh, making big, beautiful, sometimes really game changing things together. You know, Susan, that helps me come up with this one. When I, when I feel like something's, um, you know, can't be done or shouldn't be done, uh-huh. or hasn't been done, or it's um, one of the things I find, like if I go into a venue somewhere and I'm, we're trying to figure out what to do and somebody says, well, we just never done it that way. Boom. That's my spark. I'm like- <laughs> Your oppositional defiance kicks in and you're like, yet. It's more like, what's stopping us? Right. This could be anything. Let's make it something beautiful. Let's yes. create something from nothing. Let's I love it. That's the game changer. Game changers rising to the surface here. There's this moment like um, in the design process, you know, I'll work in the computer a lot. I'll do sketches and it'll be, you know, everything I see is like this big, but I know that in scale, I'm going to walk on a stage one day and it's going to be, you know, 20 feet tall, 50 right. feet tall, 80 feet, whatever it is. And there's these moments of where I wow myself and it's, it's like the first time a design is like either on stage or in the scene shop when I see it full, full scale and I'm like, holy shit, like I can't believe they actually did it. Like someone actually <laughs> had the, you know, saw yeah. something that I, that I came up with out of nothing or out of whatever, some crazy idea, some thing in life that I pulled out and said, let's make this. You saw some trees piled up and you're like, I'm going to take this. This is something Lin-Manuel has said in our presence, which is you have to be moved first. I feel like you wow yourself and then we get wowed. Yeah. That's, that's, though, that is a big metric for me in, um, when I'm working on several, you know, late night queuing a show, you know, we're like, you know, you're going to do a rock tour and there's, you got to, you got to program 30 songs. And when do you do it? Overnight usually. And it'd be like, <laughs> you know, two or three in the morning, you've been working on a song for two hours and you come up with something and you just sit back and you're like, Holy shit, that is awesome. At I am wowed. I'm floored. That works for me. Yeah. It's going to work for the audience. Like oh, I'm, I'm, Cause I'm going to yeah. be, I'm the biggest critic of that work. You know, if, if, if it can't move me, not going to move anyone else. Listen to his voice. Listeners, you have to take this in. This is, this is so fucking priceless. Mark Janowitz, listen to this, like wow yourself and then wow the world. And, and, you know, I, this, this one's going to, I know this is going to sound kind of, I, I feel like it sounds a little bit petty. It's this sort of self-grandizing thing again. Um, 
But when the credits roll, and if you if you can get Netflix to actually stay past the twenty five executive producers and just that <laughs> the next one after that, which is you know design and then usually director photography, <laughs> and like I see my name there, and I think about you know when I was a kid, I'd be watching comedy specials, yeah, yeah. and, I, and I would be like, who's that? Per-? I used to keep a log of like who oh, the designers are, yes. and I'm like, that's me, and yes. you know yeah. what? And my mom can see that, and my friends can see yes. that, and. And if my dad, who's not with us anymore, but he would, you know, he'd be very proud. And it was like, I, I actually did it. I made it. You I, did you it. Know, it, it. Yeah, I did it. And, did and, it. and, and, and um, you know, I don't know exactly where the next job is coming from and you, you never do. And, and I go through, you know, massive periods of time where if I see this gap in my calendar, like I freak out, which I'm working on because part of what I have to keep reminding myself is you may not know where it's coming from, but like it's keep putting coming. your best work out yeah. there and keep, you know, respecting the people around you and, and, you know, get, have a good kind of air around who you are with other people. And, and, and you're, and you're not going to be lagging for that long. And before you know, it, you're going to have too much to do yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have to take long walks in the woods to just clear your head enough to like get through That's a day. Right. Mark, you are living it. You're living the, like being a good person, doing good work, being a great person, doing great work in the world. And that work is just going to beget work. It's it's just a pleasure to know you and a pleasure to get to work with you and to be your friend. Thank you so much, Mark Janowitz. Thanks for joining us on The Spark File. Thanks for having me. So that is it. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people, and we hope that it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and fanned it into a creative flame and you'd like to share that, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even happily take your feedback, but first, the price of admission. You need to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, five-star, review it. If you like this podcast, share it with people you love. And if you didn't like it, I don't know, Mark, what do you say to your critics? Well, just wait for the next one. It might be a little better. <laughs> so humble. <laughs> the humility. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> if something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and make it. Bye. Bye, Mark Janowitz. We love you. Love, love, love. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark fire. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark fire. I jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire. Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality 
energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.